When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 505 of the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm the Hilton, and I know, I know, I promised some new friends this week, but the summer months are to be enjoyed, so people are enjoying their time out there, and I'm in the studio talking to you, which is fine by me, because today I'm still talking about that salary cap, very exciting stuff, I know, and then fortunately I have some more listener questions I didn't get to early in the week that we get to answer now. So that sounds like a full show to me, so how about it? Let's dive right in with those wage limits dropping and that being the salary cap we're talking about last campaign Barcelona salary cap after being not to say unjustly or incorrectly inflated but we knew at the Palancas that that was going to inflate the salary cap to a number that would fit what Barcelona were trying to bring in and Lewandowski and Kunde and the rest of that group last year so last year the salary cap was at 648.8 million which at the time was down from the $667 million that was the previous season before. And obviously, the club in the year since has made all of those efforts to cut costs, especially, again, we're talking just about the salary cap in the first team, Gerard Piquet, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets. For one way or another, those salaries were taken off the books. And so that brought the wage bill down about $162 million in total, including the other ins and outs which puts it currently at $404 million, which unfortunately for them, though, due to all the different moves that they attempted to do and even some of the money that didn't come in. We talked about that German investment company and all the other sponsors that looked like they'd be over the line but weren't. So with their new salary cap, 
as La Liga has put forth. The new salary cap is $270 million, is what La Liga has set, which does leave them $134 million short, that being 404 to 270 of what they need to be at, which is 49% over the stipulated minimum. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, there's Real Madrid and Barcelona. Why is Real Madrid so much higher, 2.5 times higher than everybody else? Well, here's the why. The economic cost control in the Liga, that's the let's say, independent body, but also connected under the Liga's umbrella that looks at a club's budgeted revenue and expenses. So after doing this, they set a squad cost limit, that being transfer fees plus salaries, as to where a club should be. And so as I keep saying over and over and over again, when COVID-19 hit, that is where Barcelona not only lost revenue for a number of seasons, but had inflated salaries that was going to continue to burden them for a long, long time. Meanwhile, Real Madrid were one of the few clubs to end both the 1920 and 2021 seasons with a profit, while Barcelona, meanwhile, were registering losses worth $97 million in the 1920 season, and then losses worth $481 million in the 2021 season. And I do remember talking about this at the time, that Barcelona, with Laporta taking over as COVID-19 was happening and Bartomeu getting kicked to the curb, that there was a choice that Laporta took to take on those losses, to accept those on that wage bill that year of 2021 and deal with the ramifications. But it wasn't just that time. Since the 2016-17 season, Partizan registered a loss worth, that being 453.6 mil for player sales versus player purchases, because Barcelona have not been selling players when they were worth any money in any transfer way. Meanwhile, the 16-17 season, at the same time, Real Madrid have registered a profit worth 15.6 mil for player sales versus player purchases, which is just a huge differential there. Barcelona are not selling, and you go back to even the Messi thing, that Messi left for free. He did not leave for the 100 or 150 mil that Bartomeu could have sold him for, because for a lot of different factors, of course, the ineptitude of Bartomeu and that board, sure, but also because Barcelona's success in the 21st century, even though Real Madrid have won the Champions Leagues, not to say that they backed into those, but they didn't necessarily ever thank the players that they had with money or we'll say give them a reward like Barcelona did for their success. And a reminder too, that unlike Cristiano Ronaldo, who always for Real Madrid in their salary structure was treated as a very expensive hired gun, this mercenary that they did cut ties with in 2017. But Messi was homegrown. Messi was always connected. And so you almost had to pay a homegrown tax on Messi. And then because he came from the academy, you never got any transfer fee ever for him. But it wasn't just him. The same thing was with technically Jordi Alba when he returned. The same thing with Sergio Busquets. The same thing with Gerard Piquet. And I know two of those names went out and came back. But in that same time period, going out for a player like Luis Suarez at the time that they did and having his relationship with Lionel Messi, his number was huge. And so you just had all of these big players and it wound up being the worst case scenario timing-wise that you had all of these older players that in theory were not going to be sold, that were just going to be paid a ton of money when Barcelona were in theory looking at a total revenue that should have been $1 billion, but so much of that percentage of that revenue was going towards their salary in a way that Real Madrid just wasn't. And that's the difference, that we think about it as transfers and salary cap being the same thing, but it's not. The transfer fees do affect the salary cap, but it doesn't, in theory, affect the wage terms, which is the same thing that I keep talking about with Chelsea, that Chelsea isn't paying any individual player that much money per season, but their contracts and amortization are very high and the upfront transfer costs are outbidding everybody else. And then they sign these players to these six and eight million euro deals. Isn't necessarily what Real Madrid is doing, 
But as we also said, timing-wise, Barcelona were attempting to jump headfirst, and they have, into the Montjuic and Camp Nou project. And when I say project, I mean go to Montjuic and lose all that revenue at the gate, as I keep talking about as well. Losing on season ticket holders and the things and kind of eating those issues. And so I think for Barcelona, and we've heard it, they're not necessarily surprised that the salary cap that the Liga hit them with. That's why they went out and they only spent actual transfer fee money under 7 mil for Oru Romeo. Everybody else came on a free transfer. Because going back to the wages, Barcelona consistently used 70% of the club's total revenue on player wages. A salary structure where players earned way more than the market suggested they deserve, which is actually the opposite of what is currently happening with Barcelona and Jao Felix as they attempt to get out of these issues. Because despite their efforts, Barcelona are well above their salary cap. And even if Jao Felix, who was loaned, came in for 400,000 euros, the impact on their salary limit is considerably substantial because, as Javier Tebas said, that Jao Felix's contract had a much larger impact on the salary limit than what it actually does account for on terms of Barcelona's books and what they're actually paying him. And then even going forward, remember, they must sell players to raise those extra funds as well to get that salary cap down, as in not even selling for the transfer fees, but to get those wages off the books. But then they can only invest 50% of the money saved or earned on those deals because they remain so high over in their wage bill what the salary limit is. I already basically said it, but I want to say deferred wages. That's another huge part of it. Laporta in 2020 took over 389 million in deferred wages. That's on top of the original wages, the transfer fees, and all those other expenses that they had. And they couldn't register enough income, again, due to COVID and due to taking on that project of moving to the camp. No. So they couldn't register enough income to handle those expenses. And so they had very little room and will continue to have very little room to buy and register players. I do honestly believe, and I say it, once Barcelona return to the Camp No, I think so much of this will end in a year. But you're still looking at two or three more seasons of these problems. And you look at the salary cap too, and I mentioned it. The Frankie de Young, he makes four times, four times what any player on Brighton makes. And that's not disparaging Frankie de Young. That is the contract that he signed. And that's why the club tried to push him out as ardently as they did. And people can ask, hey, if you love the club so much, then why are you making sure that no other players can be signed? But they are. They're still getting free transfers in, in Gundogan and Christensen and talented players that want to still choose to play for Barcelona. Because I, I guess I almost pushed back a little bit on the earlier show this week, but it's true. Even in economic calamity, Barcelona is still a draw. Players still want to win a Champions League with FC Barcelona. They still want to play, even an inexperienced manager in Xavi, they still want to put on that jersey and wear that crest. And they're willing to come on a free transfer that, sure, the agent fees and commissions can get pretty high, but they still want to choose to come to play for Barcelona in a way that won't affect Barcelona's bottom line. Now, what does that all mean? That means, as I said, that Barcelona's constrained finances mean that they can only reinvest 50% of the money saved from player wages and 50% of transfer earnings until they achieve financial stability. Which means, because Eric Garcia going out on that loan to Girona did partially help João Cancelo be registered, and Barcelona were, I mean, you're talking about maybe tens of thousands of dollars, not in the millions, that they were able to sign everybody. That does mean that somebody has to leave for a big enough number that you can then fit Vita Roque under the salary cap by 50% of that, which means that unless they sell, I mean, this is just the math. It sounds like unless they sell somebody for like 60 million euros come January, then they are going to have some trouble with Vita Roque. 
His transfer was set for July of 2024 as to the plan approved by the Liga is what we're finding out. I think that's the one difference here, that Barcelona had efforts to try to expedite his move in January, but that would potentially add an extra 30 mil plus 31 mil potentially in variables to the club's expenses, including Roque's salary, which at this juncture doesn't seem like because of how far they're over the cap. And again, they can only afford 50% of the money saved from player wages and 50% of transfer earnings, that means that they will not be able to afford Vita Roque unless, again, some huge number heads out the other way come January even. But by next summer, they should have an understanding of what they say lost with Montjuic, but also what they made in income from that move to Montjuic. Because again, they're still making income on playing games and Gate River and all that stuff. As I said on the earlier show this week, what they potentially lose, which could be 60 to 70 mil just on Gate revenue from the Camp Nou to Montjuic. And that's not counting the season ticket holders, that's 30 to 40% made in gate revenue on top of, again, what was the gate revenue from, we'll say, the casual fans or those who don't have those season tickets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, 
and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Now, of course, the other big thing is it sounds like with all of this, I'm justifying how La Liga goes about this and, and Javier Tebas and where he stands with all this. But I do want to say that, it, again, Barcelona were not shocked by any of this information. And La Liga would not have registered or allowed Barcelona to register the players that they did in the squad this season, nor would they have allowed them to sign those players up front based on the viability plan that Barcelona set forth. Now, I said last season, the huge hits, and I said this on Tuesday's show as well, the huge hits that Barcelona took by missing out in the Champions League, that was real money. That somehow La Liga almost gave them a bone and said, all right, of course, you're Barcelona, you'll make it out of the group stage, and we can count on that Champions League TV money, which never came, which I think is also one of those other reasons that Barcelona knew that this figure was going to be lower than they even anticipated based on, again, last season when they got kicked out of Champions League, you didn't really feel any of the burden, but this is when that burden is being felt. So come next summer, again, January, it's just a Vita Roque issue, and I wouldn't expect any other players to arrive unless they're coming on a free. That would be the only other way. And except the salary that is 50% of any player that decides to leave, which doesn't seem like anybody would leave in January from this current squad. Barcelona aren't deep enough as is. So I would expect that next summer, you kind of kick the can down the road. And when the Liga looks at all this again, and Barcelona puts forward their viability plan for next year, I think with the idea and the hope that, hey, we're going to be in that Camp new sooner than later, <laughs> and let's try to get in there. But you also can only get in there as soon as you can get in there. So they're going to put forth that being Barcelona, their plan. And if the Liga approves it, then they approve it, and everybody gets underneath the salary cap. And if they don't approve it, then Barcelona can't necessarily sign certain players. But you'd hope that this kind of summer continues to be the worst of it. But I wouldn't be that surprised if you're talking about another year or two of that. It was just that Barcelona's salary percentages were way too high. The Frankie de Young number is still killer. Lewandowski struggling, that's what I always bring up. Whether or not Barcelona win or lose on the back of Lewandowski scoring goals, yeah, that's a now problem. But his number and an actual decline from Lewandowski is a much, much bigger concern as the Barcelona getting out of the issues that they're even currently in. If Lewandowski isn't worth the 20.5, raising to the 25 that he's owed next season, if he hits all the markers or just barely hits those markers but isn't really contributing to winning anymore. Rounding this all out, why does Tebas and La Liga do this? So La Liga spent $453 million on transfers, which is insanely dwarfed by the Premier League's staggering 3.018 billion euros they spent, as well as Saudi Arabia jumping in and almost a billion for them, 957 million euros. Liga invested 982 mil, which was a lot of PSG, of course. Bundesliga was 767 mil. And Syria, they're spending again 1.079 billion from them as well. Again, 453 million from La Liga. So all of those leagues in the world are much higher than La Liga's figures. And a reminder too, this is on a Barcelona podcast. So this is a huge part of it. When you talk about that talent drain and all that stuff, Spain has not been spending money. That being the other clubs in Spain, other than Atletico Madrid at the rare year, Valencia when they had an influx of cash, and yeah, randomly you'll get an owner or two that'll come in and want to spend up front, but that doesn't last three to five years in the Liga. Spanish teams have not been spending that much money since not only the economic hardships in 2008 with the global economy suffering the way it did, but even before that, 
when clubs were starting to go under in the early 2000s and late 1990s. That was just happening. I mean, Spain's economy and the, the way that their debt is used. So in Spain, they don't mortgage debt the way that the Premier League clubs that are owned by either foreign investment in the Middle East or here in the U.S. Like in the U.S., debt is used in a different way. Debt is used as leverage as opposed to in Spain where debt is used up front to be paid off in a very linear fashion. And so just looking at the economics of the way that, that Spain deal with their debt, they don't want to go under. And I think that was, again, a big concern the way that Barcelona and Valencia and Real Betis and Deportiva La Coruña and a lot of different clubs set up their wage structure, that they were willing to say, hey, we want these great players. And so we're paying them huge numbers to bring them into our club into Spain, not only as transfer fees, but on their wages. And we're going to deal with the consequences because we're going to make a lot of revenue on these players. But again, COVID-19 hit, the 2008 financial crisis hits, and it didn't work out that way. We saw the liquidations in Spain. We saw the debt that these clubs are going into, that they are not able to leverage that debt the way that, again, Premier League clubs are with different owners who have billions and billions and billions of euros. That's not the way that these clubs in Spain are built. Barcelona is owned by its members, so there is no billionaire to bail them out of some massive debt that they're using to leverage. Their debt is their debt up front that Barcelona, that being the club that so many socios and everybody buys into, that they have to pay for. So again, it comes down to foreign investment and what that means for the game. And so Spain and Tebas are saying, well, your clubs are built this way and we don't want you to have to go under. We don't want socios and, and the club board and everybody to be on the hook for these things. We don't want to watch you go down. So we're trying to protect you in this way, which for a lot of the other clubs in the Liga makes a ton of sense. And it can be frustrating in the way that you see yourself because you say, hey, if we can't sign good players, then we as a league cannot compete in Europe. So we don't get part of that European money, but it's just the way it is. And I know that is a really terrible way to end that whole thing about that's just the way it is. But at present time, that is just kind of the way it is. La Liga clubs have got to be more financially prudent because again, they're not getting all that foreign investment with billionaires to back up and leverage their debt. So they're having to deal with the upfront costs and they made some bad decisions as well. Couple that with economic crises and global <laughs> diseases and crises. And you give a mixture of to where Spain is right now. So it sucks. That's what I'll use. I'll use the word it sucks. But that's again, where Barcelona is, that is not and they're not alone in this. I know they wind up being the shields for other Spanish clubs because they did it at the highest numbers. And Real Madrid aren't necessarily on the hook for the same thing. But it's not just Barcelona. It's like 60% of the Liga teams are all in the same boat. But Barcelona, because they're one of the only teams who can go out on the global market and try to grab players from, you know, Man City and Bayern Munich, and they're still trying to be players on the global transfer market, you just hear so much more of it because, again, it breaks through the English-speaking world. Speaking of transfers, the one rumor from the last few days, Nico Williams, athletic club, right winger, going to be on a free transfer this summer. I can't imagine that happening. I think that he is just yet to sign that renewal because he is going to re-sign for big money. I think that's going to be a huge deal. Maybe the biggest that athletic club have ever signed. And that is where I would predict that he winds up. His brother, Inaki Williams, is there, as well as, again, the connection to athletic club and them kind of taking care of their own. They have sold some players over these last few seasons for big money. And they do not make a ton of revenue. That's true. But they make consistent revenue with the fans that are always there. They do well at the gate at some MS. And I think that they do have some money in their back pocket for just this kind of renewal. 
Very rarely do they sign their own players for these huge, huge deals. Usually they, like Keppa, they ship their big guys out for major money so they can pay for their expenses and things like that. But again, they also try to keep some of that for these kind of big renewals. So I still do think that there's, I'd say there's a 10% chance he leaves Athletic Club. And as far as Barcelona, free transfer, yeah, that'd be great. But I'd also think that for a lot of the Athletic Club players, they do re-sign or redo these renewals so that the club, that being Athletic Club, can get helped out by huge transfer fees. So if Nico Williams does leave, I think he leaves for a huge, huge number elsewhere. We're talking 75 to 90 mil, somewhere to the EPL or, or elsewhere that's going to help Athletic Club out. All right, the planned second part of today's show will have to remain a mystery for a little while longer until I have somebody to talk to. But instead, I get to dip back into the listener questions and answer the rest that I didn't get to on Tuesday. Starting with Ansu Fati being a main category here, Pedram asked, would the apparent on-the-pitch hostile rivalry between Lewandowski and Ansu Fati have pushed the latter out of the club? Short answer, no way. Does not matter, does not affect it. Like many number nines, Lewandowski can only think of goals. That's all he's got on his mind. His team scoring them, him scoring them. And when someone does something silly to prevent that from happening, you see his audible frustration. If Ansu had planted any of those long Hail Marys from the preseason of the first few games into the back of the net, Lewandowski would have been the first one to him to start congratulating him and hyping him up and saying how great of a player he is. Especially when it comes to older striker, young forward dynamics. You see this a ton. Just because he's been around for a few years doesn't mean Ansu still isn't learning and still isn't just 20. Look back to the way that Luis Suarez also screamed and yelled at Ansu. It's the exact same thing. Older players and older strikers do this with young players who aren't giving them the ball and letting them score the goals. It's just what happens. And Lewandowski is 35 years old, that being 15 years Ansu senior. That is way, way older brother territory to the point that I doubt they hang out much off the field. So it is possible that their relationship is primarily on the field and focus on the business end of the deal. Short answer and the long answer I gave are the same. I think Lewandowski getting frustrated at Ansu had less than 1% of an impact on Ansu leaving. Rick asks, what do you hope Ansu Fati going to Brighton does for his game? Now, Rick, you did go on to answer your own question quite a bit, saying that you hope he learns to affect gains without scoring. And I think for Ansu, my only focus is him again learning to contribute to his role in whatever he is asked to do. As I say quite a lot, I am looking at a number for Ansu, like a number of goals. So if he scores 12 to 15 at Brighton in any role, that being a starter, a bench player, then he's going to be returning to Barcelona ready to contribute. But a major key of that is regardless of how the goals happen, they just need to happen for him. Because his salary does reflect the player you pay to score goals. But for Ansu, it's getting goals regardless of how they happen. And I think that is the big difference I want to see. Because he strikes the ball so well when he has his confidence. So many of his goals are these beautiful heaters from around the 18. But I want to see the ugly ones too that he usually doesn't score. A rebound, a header, an accident that was intended for a teammate falls to him. But to Rick's point, I also want him to affect games without scoring. Which is actually a really interesting question for Desarbi and his attacking group at Brighton. Brighton is good enough to finish top half of the Premier League table, but their attackers are made up of either the two guys they trust on the wings, that being 26-year-old Karo Mitoma and 29-year-old Soldi March. Those are locked-in starters on the left wing and the right wing, but then a bunch of youngsters and then 32-year-old Danny Welbeck. Desarbi plays a 4-2-3-1 with a midfielder tucked underneath the striker, but really, that's like a secondary striker. Think of it more like Antoine Griezmann. That's a role that does exist in Desarbi's system. The two strikers have been Welbeck, starting the first three games, then 18-year-old Evan Ferguson, who came on as a sub the first few games, then scored a hatcher against Newcastle in his lone start. On the left is Mitoma, as I said. On the right is March, like I also said. 
And then there's Simon Andingra, a 21-year-old left winger, is a candidate to sub in on the wings, as he's been doing, but he is kind of down that depth chart on the wings and the forward core. Then the two underneath the striker have been Zhao Pedro, who arrived for close to 35 mil for Watford, who is expected to be a starter, an important player for Brighton. And then 19-year-old Julio Enciso, who is currently dealing with a torn meniscus, but did start in the middle of that 4-2-3-1 to start the season. You also have Adam Lalana, still doing it at 35 years old, an 18-year-old Facundo Buonanotti as attacking midfielders who fit that middle position in front of the two more defensive midfielders, of which Brighton has many. Billy Gilmore, Mahmoud Dahoud, Pascal Gross, Carlos Baleba, James Milner. That's five players for two spots. Seems pretty deep to me at those positions. Now, the good news for Ansu is that on Thursday, Brighton starts the Europa League campaign, so there will be more games to break in. The interesting thing will be where does RB sees him, though? Would he like him up top instead of Welbeck or Ferguson? Hattrick be damned for Ferguson? Or is he just a rotation piece for Mitoma? Which, unlike Xavi's four-man midfield with the inverted left winger, the left winger is actually a left winger who cuts inside the way Ansu wants to. Or will he put him behind the striker, the way Xavi was using him and Ferran Torres in preseason off the bench? Maybe Desarbi sees him as an option for all three positions and therefore was able to say, I don't know where exactly you'll start, but you'll get plenty of starts between two or three positions. And normally that would worry me, but Desarbi's team plays such a fluid and flowing style that I wouldn't get too married to the idea of static and set positions for those attackers. Desarbi does employ some positional play, but it's not as dogmatic as Xavi's and does change based on the skill sets of the 11 available. So what I'm saying, too long didn't read, is that Brighton's a lot deeper than Barcelona and they can better adapt to different lineups because of the skills are, are just different instead of the skills being a drop-off like they are in Catalonia at the moment. Morganka asks, how far can Barcelona progress in the Champions League? And with Madrid's goalkeeper and number nine questions, should this be a golden opportunity to win the Liga? For starters, I don't think Madrid is weaker this season. If anything, having watched them, they're better. Progress isn't linear, but another year for Chouameni is good for the team, as well as Kamavinga continuing to just progress and get better. Adding Bellingham was the move, and that has clearly changed their whole setup. Bellingham is the epicenter of everything in the middle, and I know he's not a false nine, but the other two forwards play off him, taking the place of the necessity for a nine. It was Vinny Jr. and Rodrigo, then Hasuelo and Rodrigo when Vinny Jr. was out. In net, Kepa is more than fine to navigate the Liga season. And that backline protecting him with Fran Garcia, Alaba, Rudiger, Carvajal is better than anything that was protecting him at Chelsea. Maybe not on paper, but in practice, that four is much more cohesive. Bellingham has, as you've seen, given them an edge late that they didn't have last season. And I'd be concerned about them all season long contending for the Liga. I would also be concerned with Letty this season too. And I do feel like they're going to make it a big three again this year if all three stay in it. That 7-0 against Rio in August won't be the norm, but this attack has some more punch to it. Griezmann was great last season, and Memphis Dubai looks comfortable, and you also have Angel Correa and Alvaro Morata, players that just know the system. Adding back in Rodrigo Riquelme and Samuel Lino back to that team, two young players who had successful loans last season at Girona and Valencia respectively, plus young midfielder Pablo Barrios, who when he came up, I don't didn't know if he looked like a star, but very much like Koke and Saul, that Atleti, they do have those midfielders now and again who come up and are like, okay, I think that kid's going to turn into what Atleti need him to be. And I think Atleti this season are just definitely deeper, both at the top and with the young players. And that's not just the attack. DePaul was expected to leave, but he didn't. Marcus Llorente, Koke is still floating around, healthy or not. He's still just 31. And then Saul is back and seems to have finally put all the difficulties with him and Simeone behind him. So they are looking deep and cohesive too. And Atleti does look dangerous for those reasons. So no, I don't think it's a golden opportunity for Barcelona in the Liga. 
who again, of those big three, looked the least cohesive and put together so far this season. However, when it comes to the Champions League, on paper, the tools are all there, plus the nature of their group for Barcelona to get to the round of 16 in Champions League, or even the quarterfinal. I think they have at least one or two knockout rounds in them if the right players are healthy at the right time. And sure, if the draw goes their way as well, and they do get, we'll say, the weakest in the round of 32 or the weakest in the round of 16 of those different rounds. And yeah, they can find a way, I think, to the quarterfinal if things go right. And I think round of 16 should be in expectations. I think they should at least win their group. And that would mean that they're the A to the B or the one to the two for that round of 32. And I think they should win that one too. Rose asks, who from the young prospects is the most realistic to get minutes, not named Lamine Mall and Fermi Lopez? So the easy answer is the other outfield players who got registered in the Champions League, I think, Angel Alacan, Marc Casado, Paul Gabarsi, and Alex Garrido. You could also give me Unai Hernandez that we saw in Japan last year. And I think that would be your best bet before you say names like Pau Prim, Marc Bernal, Guy Fernandez, Hector Four, Marc G, and even Mika Faye. Same with Noah Darvich. Now, Mahmoud Fall, that's the interesting name because Faye and Kobarsi are more the prospects. And Fall, who is still 20 for two more months, is the loan with a pretty big buy option for a player playing for Barca Athletic. If he impresses and Barca are, I guess, planning to buy him for 7 mil or whatever, I think he makes the jump to the first team faster than Kobarsi and Faye because they are still developing. And in theory, I mean, Kobarsi is 16, so he is a prospect for the future. Faye, as I mentioned, is not played as exciting as he looks for Barca Athletic. I mean, physically, he is just a machine and knows what he's doing and looks really good and looks more comfortable on the balls than you'd expect a player who doesn't have any first-team football really under his belt at all. But those guys are still just prospects. And then Kabarsi, too, has the highest ceiling of the three potentially, but you're going to wait on him. But also, as I said before, with Young as an option to play center back without needing to make a sub, it's really hard to get Young center backs any minutes with those substitution patterns, even with five substitutions. But... The kind of argument to that is that Eric Garcia was allowed to leave. So in theory, there are some minutes and there will be moments for whichever center back gets the nod. I'm going to also say Alarcon is going to get some minutes as well. He did last season and Xavi stuck with him through the injuries. So he clearly likes what he does see from him in training. So if he can A, stay healthy and B, there is expected that there might be an injury or two to that attacking core at some point this season. And I know that Xavi plays a billion midfielders, but coming off the bench, he likes to throw in those forwards. So I think there is definitely a forward spot available off the bench for Alarcon to get some minutes this season. And finally, a question from Abbas. Is Xavi facing the dilemma when he seems to be unable to get the team to play Barcelona style, adding that it could be because of the quality or lack of it of the available players and capable of retaining the ball for too long in addition to not having playmakers? I talked a lot about Xavi's tactics on the early show this week, but I will add to this what I would call the de Young dilemma. When he's at his best, which is him making the right choice and making it quickly, Barcelona are thriving. And that's not necessarily always just moving the ball along one touch. But when De Jong is moving the ball along with one touch with his passing, while switching that up with his marauding, dribbling runs, and eating up a lot of space vertically, Barca as a whole is so much more dynamic, and that really is the best version of Barcelona. But that's also not who he is against every opponent. Because I feel like Kules are expecting him to be Zidane when he's on the ball, when he's much more like Steven Gerrard, and that's probably even his ceiling, that being Steven Gerrard. And yes, like I said in the Brighton comparison, the drop-off in quality of certain positions does mean that Barcelona are trying to play the same way regardless of who is on the field, instead of being able to tailor what's happening on the field to the very talented players on the field. When Pedri is out, you shouldn't lose part of your identity. Same with De Jong or Balde or whoever. Bringing back Oro Romeo and adding Lamini Mall at the same time is actually really interesting, though, to me, because it two ends of the this-is-how-we-play spectrum 
And it really does kind of put a mirror up to the academy and, and what that quote-unquote Barcelona way is out of the academy. Because Romeo knows the quote-unquote Barcelona way. You don't forget the things that were drilled into you so much, even 10 plus years ago. And Lamine Yamal is still getting that education in the academy and in theory is pretty fresh with it. So we always do this thing with the Barca way tropes and we as Kool-Aids, I mean, that's how you kind of separate yourself from other teams to say, this is the way I expect the club that I support to play. But the way that Romeo and Lamine Yamal both operate is similar to a key principle, I guess, is what they do, which is let the ball do the work, use your talent and your teammates to get you into the right spots where talent takes over. But also in the last 20 years, any academy worth their weight is preaching the exact same things that La Masia has been preaching now since the days of Johan Cruyff. And a part of me does believe that Gabi and Lamini Mall and Ansu, that it's a lot about talent evaluation, proper nurturing of these personalities off the field because of an expensive academy setup, and then their individual talent getting them to the top of the mountain. I know it's going to upset some people, but there is a part of me that does think that those three in particular would have made it through at least 25 different academies of teams that put similar or more investment into their academies. But we are kind of getting away from the question that Abbas asked. I think right now, Barca is in a place where they are playing the way they want to, but they're trying to do that against everybody and up and down their own roster, which is something that they don't have the ability to do once you swap out two or three players. But in Xavi's defense, if you don't play a certain way, fans go nuts on you for not playing that way. And at Barcelona, you have to win, and you win the way the fans want you to win. That's not even the English-speaking world. Those in Catalonia putting that pressure on Xavi, which as Kool-Aids, again, even the ones locally, never, ever, 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 ever learn, you can't win against everybody the same way. Because there are teams with way less talent who are built to make sure you only beat them in the way you don't want to play. So that's why the longer I do this and the more of these match reviews that I talk 20 minutes on every single match that I learned one lesson more than any other is that there are teams, again, who are going to make you beat them and beat them ugly. So for Barcelona, if you can beat teams ugly like they did last year and win the Liga, that La Liga trophy to me, especially when you win by the number of points that they won by, those Liga trophies still count the same as the ones that you feel like Barcelona were the best team and, and won everything the best way. And then again, it's a wake-up call for Kules to remind you that Barcelona, when they win the Champions League, it's because they were the best team. They get the farthest in Europe when you know you're going to get the farthest in Europe. When you say, going into every matchup, hey, Barcelona is a better team on paper and they have the more likely chance to go through, and then they do that. And why Barcelona fans are so frustrated that on paper it looks like Barcelona should go through, and then they don't. And it's a disappointment because Barcelona weren't the underdog. For Barcelona fans, get comfortable with the idea of having to be the underdogs for a few more seasons. And if Barcelona can nip a few more La Ligas out of nothing when they're the underdogs in the Liga with Real Madrid floating around, Atletico Madrid and whatever, and maybe they can get a lucky Champions League the way I feel like Chelsea did a few seasons ago. Well, I I think you take those to the bank in the same way that you take those Champions Leagues from the glory years as well. A Champions League trophy is still a Champions League trophy. All right. Barcelona, I think, are ways away from that. Again, just talent. But as I said, who knows? It's a long season and the Champions League is starting not before I talk to you next. That's against Real Betis. I'm going to have the match for you for that. But I will be talking to you soon because, again, Champions League starts next week. So, as always, until next time, please subscribe. Help me out. A big help. Again, I'm trying to reach 15,000 by the start of the new year. And if you're with me here, you're probably already subscribed to everything. But, hey, if you're not, if you're the one or two people who aren't, just take a second, click on subscribe to the YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to the podcast. A big help. And as always, until next time, Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.